Ah, good morning, church. God is good, isn't he? Amen, amen. Wow. Well, I saw a lot of new faces as I was coming in this morning, so if this is your first time, second time here, uh, I hope that you have been warmly welcomed by this body. Welcome to our family. Uh, This is our family gathering where we just get to spend time together, uh, worshiping the Lord, uh, studying his word, hearing from him, uh, and just being together in the body of Christ. And it's a wonderful thing. You guys uh, continue to be a blessing to me and our family, and we just love being part of what God is doing here among us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's do this. Uh, We'll get Bibles out. Uh, So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out and open it to 1 Timothy. If you did not bring a Bible, uh, that is okay. We have Bibles in the back that we can give to you. Just put your hand up nice and high into the air, and the guys in the back will bring a Bible your way. Guys, uh, if you could kind of pre-open those Bibles to 1 Timothy 5, uh, that would be helpful. 1 Timothy chapter 5 is where we'll be. If you don't know where that is, ask the person next to you who seems to know what they're doing. Um, and, now, you know, look, there's so many visitors that, that come here week after week. If you, you know, sometimes you see someone and you go, well, I, I didn't get greeted. They didn't greet me. Well, they might be new as well as you. And they're looking at you saying, well, they didn't greet me. So uh, I hope that that doesn't happen. And don't assume that the person next to you um, has been here a long time. They might be visiting too. So, Take that step and, and reach out and introduce yourself to somebody. And, and if you see someone struggling, find that place in their Bible. Just reach over, give them a hand. Uh, we all uh, started out not knowing where any of these books were and, uh, or what, what any of this was all about. So uh, we appreciate that you're here, that you faced whatever fears it took to come here. Uh, this can be a scary thing, trying something new, being part of something that is unfamiliar. So I hope that God is beginning to just set those fears at ease as you just settle in and enjoy uh, hearing from the Word of God this morning. So, amen. Let's pray. Father, we are excited about what Your Spirit is doing in our lives, in our homes, in our church. Lord, and we know that, that there's still so much more to do. We know there's so much more to do, not just in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, but in our community and in this world. And Lord, we know that the uh, laborers, unfortunately, are few. And I pray that you would be raising up from among us workers, laborers, um, men, women, kids, willing to, ready to go wherever you call them and do whatever you call them to do. Lord, I pray that, that as we study your word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, week after week, and day after day, that you would be equipping us for the thing that you've designed us and created us to do for the building up of your kingdom, for the saving of souls. Lord, I pray that you just use this time to teach us more about who you are, what pleases you, what your hopes and dreams are for us, your people. Lord, conform us into your image. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 In my prayer, I mentioned God raising up workers to go out. And there's always that challenge, I think. Uh, some of the other pastors that I meet with and I were talking about this. Uh, actually, one, one pastor was mentioning that their church had had a building project. 
And as a result, that they had uh, been typically very good about community outreach and, and benevolence and giving out to, to people. Uh, and then when the building project came along, they ended up pulling all their resources in for the building. And he said it really uh, created a, a, a bad effect in their church. They became very inward focused and, and it caused a lot of problems. And, and I want you to know that that's not, we have uh, funds regularly set aside to give. So I hope we are going to avoid that problem. But that's not why I mentioned that. I mentioned that to say that there's always this balance between reaching out to the unsaved, to the world, to, to those that need uh, to hear the gospel. But then the, the other side of that coin is we don't want to neglect the family, those that are right here among us. And, and so much of how people know that there's something special about us is the, the genuine and, and sacrificial care that we have for each other. And that's important too, because we don't want to reach out and bring people into a family that's a mess and dysfunctional. Right? So we want to be making sure that this body is doing well, is healthy, is being cared for. Those in need are, and we're, we're sharing God's heart for one another with one another. So, but both of those things are important. And the best way that it works is if this body is healthy, then we invite other people in and say, wow, you know, look at what God is doing here. And I think that's what God is cultivating in 1 Timothy as we study we're talking about how to fix a broken church. We've all seen or heard of or been to churches that we would say were broken. They'd gone through some divisive thing. They had been through some hard time. There were, there were uh, challenges for power. Uh, there were struggles for dominance. Uh, there was uh, no desire to, to um, minister. They just had come in. And we would just say that was really a, not a healthy church. Would you say that about some place you've seen or been and we've all been there and we've all seen that and our goal is to say hey god how do you keep this group healthy and so timothy is there in this church in ephesus the city called ephesus he's been sent there as a young pastor probably in his 30s to help fix some of the problems they were having and it's not we'll have problems look trust me we will and have had and will have problems that's normal. We're human. If you woke up this morning and you breathed, you're going to sin today. It's just something we struggle against our flesh. And God knows that. But then he gives us the tools to work through those things. To deal with our, our dysfunction. To deal with our struggles and our relationships that can be difficult. And, and so that's what Paul is dealing with. Uh, with Timothy. Send him there. Um, what they're learning how they're relating to one another. All of these things are, are things that Paul has been addressing. Uh, and we come up to the uh, fifth chapter of 1 Timothy this morning. And it really is a carryover from the fourth chapter. In, in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul reminded Timothy not to let anyone despise his youth. In other words, Timothy, he said, Don't, you know, you're a young guy, you're having to speak truth and, and change into the lives of men and women that are older than you, and that can be really a little hairy in terms of the relationships go, uh, because you're young. And uh, so he says, be real careful about how you operate, about how you present yourself, be an example to people. And then this is just a continuation of that. In, in verse 1 of chapter 5, 
He says, Timothy, do not rebuke an older man. Some of your Bibles might say an elder, and it's not speaking of elder in terms of the position. He's speaking of someone who is literally older. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. And this is real important, Timothy, with all purity. With all purity. So we see that uh, when Paul is trying to describe, Paul the writer of this personal letter, is trying to describe relationships in the church. He doesn't use the business model. He doesn't talk about, you know, now be, be good to your clients. Uh, you want to make sure you retain them. Uh, he doesn't, you know, you're the CEO. That's not the language that's used. Do you see that? It's the language of what? Family. The church is most like a family. It, it's, it, it is a family. And so one of the best things we can do and the assumption that Paul writes with, look, he says, don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. And older women as, as mothers and young women as sisters, there's an assumption that they would understand respect in a family. And then knowing that, they would then apply that to relationships in the church. It's a challenge for Timothy. Relationships can get, uh, can be difficult. And Timothy's got, he's, he's a young man, he's got relationships with older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Timothy's a single guy. And, and just because a, a guy or a woman is older doesn't mean they're always right. Right? Right? I mean, oftentimes they, they are. Um, but sometimes Timothy, he says, you might have to uh, deal with something that's wrong a misunderstanding, an issue that comes up with an older man. And when you do that, to rebuke means to be harsh toward or to be hard on. He doesn't tell Timothy, look, just ignore it, forget about it. He says, you're going to have to deal with that, but do it with this respect that an older man deserves. Now, we've lost a lot of that. In our, I mean, how many of you, some of you are teachers, and you see that what's being lost culturally right now for us is this understanding of respecting authority respecting, uh, you can tell a lot about a culture by two things, the way they uh, handle their elderly and their young. And sometimes we can tend to, the younger folks, you know, we, we uh, honor strength and we honor youth, and so the older folks among us can get marginalized and kind of, well, they just, we'll put them over there, we'll have that traditional service over there for them, we'll just let them enjoy that over there, and we got the real deal over here, this is where the excitement is, and, and that's not good, it's not healthy. So Paul tells Timothy, don't, but don't, don't be hard. Don't, don't um, embarrass them in front of other people. Deal gently with people. Look, that's a good word for us. Deal gently with people. It, it radically changed my understanding of church when I began to see uh, people in church as brothers and sisters. I mean, we say it, but then do we really think it? I remember sitting in, I was doing marriage counseling one time with a couple and I remember thinking, this is like my brother and my sister that aren't getting along. And my job is to try to help be a peacemaker between my brother and my sister. And it just changed the way I understood everything about church. When someone goes to the hospital, I think, what if it was my son in the hospital? Or what if it was my mom or my dad that was at the hospital? I'd be there. I try, you know, and I'd do the best I can to, to be there. We're going to talk about widows next. Uh, women who have lost husbands. And yesterday had a situation I'm studying about about. Uh, widows and, and all that we're going to read next. And, and we have a friend who's an older woman 
uh, who is alone and she doesn't have any family in the area and doesn't have any kids around here, doesn't have any kids at all. And uh, she hurt herself. And some of you guys know me, and, and hospital ministry is not my, my forte uh, because I have this little problem with passing out at the sight of blood. So, so we get the call that, that our friend, this, this older woman who's, uh, I'm not sure if she was ever married, so I won't say that she's a widow in the truest sense of it, but she's old and she's alone. And so we're uh, the next closest thing that she has to someone to, to care for her. And so we get the call, and she said, oh, you know, I've, I've hurt myself, and I think I, I might need to, go, I go, need to go to the emergency room. So, so she's pretty tough, you know. And, and so I go over. We don't know what to expect. I go over to pick her up, and she comes out, and, her, and she's, she's hurt pretty bad. And her hand, her hand is hurt pretty bad. And I see it, and I go, uh-oh, I know I'm in trouble because there's blood. Like, I can see it. And I said, well, maybe we should cover that up. And she says, no, I think I'm just going to let it air dry. I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. So we get in the car, you know, and I'm praying, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, you've got to give me strength. Gotta... So we get in the car, and I make it down uh, 601 to right near where Common Ground, and I feel I'm sweating. I'm sweating. I'm thinking, I'm driving, and I can't, I can't pass out while I'm driving. So this would be bad. So, and she's just talking to me, talk, 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 talk. She's like, nothing's wrong, you know, and. I won't describe the injury, but it was not pretty. Uh, so I said, look, I, I, I got to pull over. <laughs> so I pull over in the parking lot. I, come around, I put my chair back. I'm like, I just need a few minutes. And she's like, oh, what, take your time. What can I do? Can I help you? You know, so she's comforting me, <laughs> driving her to the emergency room. So as I mentioned, you know, you're, there's other elders here that have no problem with that. So it may not be me that visits you in the hospital, especially if blood is involved. Uh, just understand that about me. I have no control over it. But, uh, but this idea that we're a family, it just, we're not clients or, or members in terms of, you know, like the gym or the health club or the country club, you know, where you, we're family. And so to Timothy, he says, look, you're a young man, you're a single man. With the younger women, Timothy, deal with them with purity. Check your motives. You know, if you, if you see a younger woman and, and you think, well, you know, I think we need to get some counseling going on. I think you should come see me for counseling about once a week. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Timothy, he says, be careful. Treat her like she's your sister. Give her that honor and that respect. And, and I think sometimes church can be a hunting ground uh, for some folks. And I think it's a good reminder to, um, uh, to, of these types of relationships. Older women, my kids have, have many mothers in this congregation, and, and to, to treat one another with that respect that's due um, both the older and the younger. Now, continuing on with these relationships and how to care. So we're not talking about going out and sharing the gospel, Matthew 28, going to all the world and make disciples. That's true, but it's also true that there's this relationships in the body. And so the next place Paul goes is to discuss the widows. Verse 3, honor widows who are really widows, not the ones who are faking it. No, who does he mean? The really widows. Verse 5 tells us the answer to that question. Look down at verse 5. Now she who is really a widow and left alone. We know God's heart. Those of you that have studied the Bible for any length of time know God's heart for widows and orphans. A widow in that culture had no way to support herself. I think of the woman... In Second uh, Kings chapter 4, Elisha comes to minister to her. Uh, she was poor. She had nothing in her house. Her husband had died. Um, her sons were about to be sold into slavery to pay off whatever debt uh, they had. And, and she had nothing but this one 
jar of oil. And so Elisha has her collect all these jars and she keeps, he keeps pouring out the oil until the, all the vessels are filled and then she becomes um, in, in the business of selling oil. He's provided for her to make a living for herself to support her family. Um, all through the Bible, we, we think about James saying, hey, here's true religion is to visit widows and orphans in their trouble. So we know God has this care and this value, and to honor means to place a value to prize this group in the body of Christ, widows and orphans, um, and to care for them with the heart he would have for them. We're just an extension of God's heart for people that are truly in need. But there was a problem. You see, there were other widows who really weren't in need. They either had family or they never lived for God in the first place. And, and those things, w- or they were younger and could potentially be remarried. And so Paul is trying to handle abuses of the church benevolence system. And I'll tell you, one of the th- hardest things that we do as a church, and you guys don't get to see it, um, you guys sort of lay the money at our feet in terms of you put it in the offering plate. You don't always know where it goes. We do thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of benevolence through this church. And, and it, we help people with rent and light bills and, and all kinds of different things. Um, we don't help with trips to Hawaii and things like that. Um, but we do, we help people in need. And that's something we, but that can be hard because we know there's a lot of abuses of the system out there. There's people that um, feel entitled, feel like just because we're a church, that they're, we're obliged to give to them. And that there's somehow, and then if you don't, if you say, well, I don't think it's appropriate for us to help you out right now, then, oh, I, I, you call yourselves a church. Oh, I thought you were a man of the cloth. And, and then the daggers get thrown. And it's really tough to sit across from someone who comes bringing a need and to, to, to sit in, in discernment over what's the right thing to do. And so we have as a church taken the policy, mercy triumphs over judgment. We'll help anybody once with a basic need, with food, um, with, with shelter, with an electric bill. Uh, but then after that, then it, it moves to, uh, well, maybe discipleship is what's needed. And if a person isn't first submitting themselves to God and seeking Him, then we don't have enough time or money to support them. If they don't want God to be first in their life, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be supplied. And, and God has given the body of Christ... I have such great peace knowing that if something were to happen to me, that this church would care for my family. I know that. I know that's true. You see, and it's different. Nowadays, we have life insurance policies and Social Security and some other things that are in place that they didn't have. A widow was dependent. You think about uh, in the book of Ruth, Naomi, whose husband dies, and then she has two sons, and they both die, and, uh, and then she's left without care without help and so but evidently paul is dealing with abuses that just because the the money or the support is available that women were coming say hey i want to be supported by the church as a widow and so paul says timothy show respect and, and show support for widows who are really widows who really need it the ones who really need the help but if any widow has children or grandchildren Let them, the children or grandchildren, learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Timothy, if if there's other family involved, 
then, then it's the family's responsibility. You, you can't pawn off your responsibility to care for your relatives on the church. That's what he's saying. Uh, we, this is how family works. And part of what, what, what the challenge is, is that sometimes, you know, I, I learned in Ukraine about the difference between orphans and social orphans. And I think it's also true of widows. There's widows and there's social widows. The difference is in Ukraine, a social orphan is an orphan whose parents are alive, but they're addicted to alcohol or there's, there's, there's a lack of care, so they become street kids. Their parents aren't caring for them. And they're, they're, so they're not truly orphans, but they're more what, what the term is now social orphans. And I think we, we wrestle with social widows. So there are women or, or men that, that, have, uh, that are now older and alone, and they have kids and grandkids, but uh, due to... Uh, well, I don't want to touch my, my retirement or I don't, you know, uh, or I'm, I'm lazy or I don't, I don't feel like dealing with it. There can be a lot of reasons. They just won't care for their parents. Now, this is not a matter of aren't able to financially. I mean, look, the world has, has changed a lot since then. And we have medical care now that is able to prolong people's uh, lives even while they have health problems. So it can be very expensive uh, to, to care for parents, and I know that. And, and nursing homes are expensive, and uh, to, to have a parent, you know, they need ongoing health care, nursing care, in-home care, and that can, the, I, so I know all that. And, and Paul's not trying to lay a heavy trip on people, just that, look, you also can't pawn that off and say, well, I don't want to touch my savings. The church has given out money. Let them handle it. Do you see the difference there? Does that make sense? So there is a familial responsibility. Look what he says. He says, that's worship. It's let them learn to show piety or reverence at home. Uh, that's the first place to show respect is in the home. Kids to their parents, parents to their kids. This is the place where we have to deal respectfully and lovingly with one another. And here, the reality, he says, if they have children, grandchildren, let them learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. Parents, say amen. <laughs> I mean, do you know what the cost of raising a child from birth to 18 is? Probably not, so I'll let you know. Uh, birth to age 18, I printed out this article uh, that I don't have up here with me. But I think if I remember right, about $285,000 is what, uh, what a, the average middle class family will pay to raise a child from birth to age 18. Now, if that includes college and goes on up to age 24, it could be up to a million dollars. And so, I, you know... Look, I remember when our kids were, you know, all that we've done, all that you do as parents for your kids, you run them here, you run them there, you pay for this, they need braces, they need that, you know, clothes and food and all that stuff that they need, and it all adds up. And, and then I was watching a documentary about a woman in Africa. She's this tribal woman in Africa, and she's got her little son next to her, and she says, when our kids are little, we give up our lives to care for them. And then when we are old, they give up their lives to care for us. And it's sort of like we have an opportunity to give back to our parents what they have, the sacrifices that they have made for us. And the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. It's connected to a blessing. Now, I know that some of you had lousy parents. And you might think, you know what? They didn't care for me when I was young, so I'm not caring for them when they're old. Let them, let them figure it out themselves. Well, is that right? Does the Bible tell us to do unto others as others have done to us? 
Because he says this is what's good and acceptable to God is that you honor your parents. And sometimes that means providing for their, their care in old age, doing the best you can to do that. Verse 5 says, now, she who is really a widow the one, and left alone, she doesn't have any other resources, no other help, she trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. When, when a woman is a widow, she has no other source. She has to continue, and the idea is that she continues to trust in God. This is a woman who has been trusting in God. And then continues to trust in God night and day through prayers. The Christmas story involves a woman named Anna, who was an elderly woman who had been married about seven years before her husband died, and she gave the rest of her life to, uh, to worship in the temple, and she prayed night and day, the Gospel of Luke tells us. Her name is Anna. And she's, the baby Jesus is, is brought to uh, the temple, and there she sees him. And, and for 80-some years, she prays night and day. And look, this is so essential in the body of Christ. Sometimes you think, you know, well, what do I, I'm, I'm older now. I, I don't have the energy. You can pray. Pray and seek God for this fellowship. And give yourself to, to spiritual pursuits. And we'll talk more about that as we go through. She was really a widow and left alone, trusts in God, continues to trust in God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But that's not how everybody deals with it. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. You see, some say, woohoo, free at last, you know, where's the casino? And, and get, get a bumper sticker, an RV and a bumper sticker that says, outspending my children's inheritance, you know, having cocktail parties. And going off, and, and I think Paul is saying the church doesn't have to support that. If a woman has a, has a tendency to be pursuing pleasure, that that's her goal is to live it up in her later years. And I put my time in, I raised those kids, I did my thing with my husband, and, and now I'm free and I'm going to enjoy it. It's me time. And, and that's what she might do. And he says, We don't, the church. So here the church begins to support this woman who's a widow, and she takes that money and then goes off to the casino with it. Buys a house at the beach and collects shells all day long and has cocktail parties. That, that, Paul is saying, look, that's not really a widow. That's not someone who is to be brought into the care of the church. She who lives in pleasure is dead. It's, it's, what kind of life is that, Paul's saying? You know, when you could use those years, you know, Psalm 92 talks about. Uh, people who are old and still bearing fruit in their old age. Still pursuing God. I mean, I think about Chuck Smith, and he's just in his 80s in lung cancer and still preaching. And I think about some of the precious people in this congregation who are retired and they've never been busier since the, in their retirement now serving the Lord and, and just serving up a storm. Because we have a, a very young body. In a lot of ways, there's a, there's a, Tom, 165 kids in our children's ministry and, and all those attached to young families and living in that busy part of life. But, you know, when, when you've gone through that, when you've cared for the kids, you've raised them up and now, you know, you're in your late 50s, you're in your 60s, you're in your 70s and you don't have those obligations. It's a great time to still bear fruit and to serve the Lord in the way he's calling you to serve. Verse 7 says, and these things command that they may be blameless. 
verse 8, but if anyone does not, and, and I put next to that, will not is the idea, provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, his family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a pretty heavy deal, isn't it, that Paul's telling Timothy? Again, I know the economy is tough, and I know people are, are some people are out of work, and, 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 but look beyond the practical to the heart behind this. There's a heart that says, I want to, my parents did for me, even if they didn't get, look, they didn't get it all right, and neither will you. So the, the difficulty in, in ministry is so we get a woman that comes in, she's got three kids, and, and she's got a husband. And she's a social widow because her husband's addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol, and he's not, he's refusing to care for his family. And so it's easy for us to say, well, Paul said, you know, look, if you don't, you know, you got a husband, he's supposed to provide for you, see you later. That doesn't put food on the table. That's what makes it so hard to differentiate these things and to pray these things through because, you know, that, that doesn't meet her need when her husband won't. And that's why Paul says, look, if he won't, if there's someone, if there's a child, a grandchild that won't provide, refuses to because they're lazy or because they don't want to touch their, they're greedy or whatever, uh, they're addicted or they're mad and, and bitter about something, then they don't understand being a Christian. They don't understand sacrificial love. They don't understand worship in a familial way. And, and see, even unbelievers sometimes outdo us in care, don't they? Are you still with me here? I know this, maybe, I don't know all of your situations. I know some of you are, have been through some tough things as your parents have gotten older and um, my parents, Helga's parents, in that age and we're having to, you know, make some decisions. Uh, we actually put a room on our house uh, that was on the first floor so that should the need arise one day that any of our relatives, I still have a, a grandmother that's alive. She's 96. She's probably stronger than I am. Visits a hospital. Uh, goes to visit people in the hospital um, as part of her ministry. Um, but there's a place where, it, should the need arise, we would be kind of ready in our hearts to do the best we could to take care of them and, and let the Lord lead us in that. Verse 9. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So there's another issue with, the, with dealing with, these, uh, with this um, part of the church, and that's the, the age of the widows. Do not let a widow under 60 years be old be taken into the number. What does he mean, the number? Evidently, there was a formal list of, of women in the fellowship that needed ongoing care, that deserved it that were to, to be cared for by the church. If you know um, Acts, I believe it's chapter 6, there was this argument that arose uh, about the widows being getting their, their food. And the one set of widows, the, the Greek widows, uh, thought they were getting cheated by the Jewish widows, and so the deacons had to kind of handle that thing. But this is an ongoing part of the church, care for the, uh, the folks that can't care for themselves. And so there's this formal list, almost as if they're being hired. Or, or sort of they're being cared for, and in return, what they give back is, is this prayer and care within the body of Christ, that these older women have a role 
to minister to younger women and to pray with people and to pray for people and to visit them. And all of these things are part of that. Some people say that this group here, this, this role, this list of the widows, is the women spoken about in chapter 3. I'm not sure, but I think it's certainly the qualifications are very similar to elders. She, the, the wife of, of one man. She's a one-woman kind of a man, not, a, not running around. Uh, she has a history and, and, a, um, and is well-known, well-reported, a track record for good works. She has brought up children that could be her own, could be uh, orphans that they would get, get from the streets. They, would, they discarded children in the dumpsters. And so church would get them and bring them in and raise them as orphans. And maybe she's done that. Uh, she's opened her home to travelers, to people that needed a place to stay. Uh, if she has washed the feet of the saints. This is the, I know about the Proverbs 31 woman. I, I think this is the First Timothy 5 woman. This is good woman, you know, as they say. This is, uh, this is a, a woman who has a track record of, of being faithful in her service to the Lord and to the body of Christ. She's relieved the afflicted. Don't we need um, people in the body of Christ that do these things, that are given to do it? This is while she's sort of, uh, before she's a widow. This is her track record. If she's relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So just because a woman comes and says, hey, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in a place of need, can the church support me? Doesn't mean that the church necessarily would enter into that. But here's the things that, that Paul tells Timothy to look for. Now, what's the age thing? Verse 60. Let's, um, excuse me, uh, 60 years old. Look down at verse 11. We'll keep following this through. But Paul says, refuse the younger widows. And I don't think it means, he means it to be so, quite so cold as that. Well, you, you know, what are you, how old are you? 58? Sorry. Can't help you out. Send them packing. I don't think so. It says, refuse the younger widows. Why? For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. Now, what does that all mean? So here's the thing. When a, when a person is widowed and they're young, we were in Israel with a wonderful young couple that was engaged. Um, he was in his 30s. She was in her 20s. She had been married for less than a year, was pregnant. Her husband was killed in a skiing accident. And it took her a little while to get through that, but she had now met this man who, who was a Christian man and, and was going to marry him. They would work through all the tough stuff, and, and she was now going to be remarried. She was young. She's still in her 20s and, and had a lot of, of life left in front of her um, and had that desire to be remarried. So the problem is, is when, when you're first in that place, um, I was talking to a woman that I know uh, pretty closely who said, you know, Steve, at first, you feel like you're unfaithful when you think about being remarried or when you think about the potential of you know, your, your heart has been given to this one man and it's not even, you can't even think about uh, remarrying. And there is a time when that, that is true because you, you feel, again, like it'd be disloyal. But again, if the woman is young, um, those feelings sometimes give way to the natural desire to be held or to be comforted or for a for a hug or for, for physical intimacy. 
And those things that seem to have died uh, when your spouse died kind of begin to rekindle. And if you have made a vow or a commitment, hey, look, I'm just going to be married to the Lord. I'm never going to get married again. I'm just going to give my life to God. And you're, you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 50s. And then those things begin to rekindle in your heart. And you've already made this vow. It can cause a real problem. You can feel really condemned because you're feeling the way you are and feel like, well, I've committed to the Lord. Now I'm serving the church. And, I, and so Paul says, just out of wisdom, I, I think he's speaking by experience. Encourage the women that are under age 60 not to make that vow because they're, they're not always going to feel like they do right now. Now, they, they may decide and they may live that out. They may say, hey, from age 25 until I die, I'm going to be married to the Lord. That's my thing. But it can cause problems if that changes. He says that they can grow wanton against Christ, meaning and, and they desire to marry having condemnation because they cast off their first faith or their, their initial conviction that they were just going to remain single. And besides, and here's the other part of the problem, they learn to be idle. Wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies th- saying things which they ought not. Now, again, I didn't write this. I think, <laughs> I think Paul's speaking from something he's experienced practically among the, in the church there or in other churches. So the problem is a young woman, she still has a lot of energy. Um, uh, she still have, has a desire to, to, to fix, to help, to, to be part of uh, uh, caring for people. And without a husband and, and children to um, express that care to, that can ex- be expressed in a bad and a negative way by getting involved and getting into other people's business. They say idle hands are the devil's workshop, Right? So this, the woman has these tendencies, has these desires, you know, to, to help in this compassionate thing that, that goes on in a woman's heart. And, and without a place to, um, to express that, then the danger is with, with, that the church is supporting them, so they're not working, and they just have all this free time. So they begin to go from house to house like the widows would, but instead of ministering, now they're causing trouble. They're stirring up problems. They're gossiping. Hey, I just came from this house over here, and you'll never believe what was going on over there. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe they made that decision. Oh, my goodness, they're getting married. And oh, Anyway, they can go on and on. Because they're idle, uh, they can become gossips and busybodies, trying to fix everybody else's kids, trying to fix everybody else's stuff into everybody else's business because they don't have that place to care themselves. Saying things which they ought not. Verse 14, then the result of this is he says, Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, marry in the Lord. Because sometimes a woman, or, or a man, I mean, this can work both ways, uh, can, can marry just because of loneliness and, and make a quick decision and, uh, and really regret that. So Paul would say, look, if you're going to remarry, that's okay. Uh, death releases you from the marriage covenant to your spouse. But if you do choose to remarry, and you can choose to remain single if you want, but if you do choose to remarry, he says, remarry in the Lord. Remarry in the Lord, not on the rebound. He says, I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, uh, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak uh, reproachfully. Uh, the word opportunity speaks of a base from which you launch an attack. The base which, and this is not, when he says the adversary, this is those that are opposed to Christianity. 
Not, not Satan spoken of here. But those that are opposed to Christianity, when they see these kind of behaviors, it gives them an opportunity to attack the church. They, look, do you see what the church is doing? I mean, this is terrible. They're paying this woman's bills, and look what she's doing. She's causing trouble all over town. And Paul says when, when, when a younger woman uh, gets married, it can kind of take care of some of that. Now, this morning was an interesting morning because um, if you look at the word, I don't know, some of you may have a different Bible. Mine says, let's see, um, bear children, manage the house. Did any of your Bibles say anything besides manage the house? Direct the house, maybe. It's an interesting word that I'm never going to live down. I've never seen my wife so excited about God's word as I did this morning. Um, It is literally, the word in Greek is oikodespotes. Now, how many of you know what a despot is? It's it's an absolute authoritarian leader. A ruler or a lord or a master. The word in Greek that's, that's managed the house is oiko, which is home or house. Despotes, which is where we get the word despot. Literally, the lord of the house. Oh, Helga got excited this morning. She goes, I'm the lord of the house. If mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. I got appointed minion number one this morning. Jacob is minion number two. Kids, look out when we get home. She just learned this this morning. We were talking about this on the way in. Um... And this is set in contrast, you know, to the, to the woman who, who is trying to do these things in everybody else's house. And so being, being remarried can once again give her the chance to express that compassion and that care and that desire um, uh, with her own home, with her own home. And so, um, ladies, I've just told you now, you're rulers, Lords of your home. You know, I don't put anything away until I check with Helga. Where's this go? Okay, tell me where that goes. Where's that go? Okay, I don't know nothing around here. So I'll fold it. You tell me where it goes. Except for the dishwasher. That's my domain. No, it's funny in marriage counseling, you always find there's one person in the couple that, that is the loader of the dishwasher because the other person can't do it right. Do you find that too? There's someone in your house that loads the dishwasher because the other person just does not know how to do it. Stuff's everywhere. It's like, oh, you can fit twice as much in if you just do it neat and orderly. There's a way to, I am oiko dishwasher I guess is what I am. Or dishwasher despot. Helga is the absolute ruler over everything else. And this is, as a husband, I long for that. I long for my wife to be in that place where she is directing, guiding the home. The Proverbs 31 woman, the husband was at the gates doing business in the community. He was caring for the needs of the community. And the wife, she was caring for the things of her home, her kids, making sure they had the, the right clothes and everything matched and all that stuff. And that's what she's good at. I mean, she, we just blow that. You know, we just don't know how to do that like you guys do. Give no opportunity for the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. You see, this is already happening in their community, and Paul's trying to, to rein that back in. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. So, we're going to stop there. And we'll pick up in verse 17 next week. Um, but I hope that what God is doing, you know, sometimes we, we read this stuff, we go, you know, what in the world does that have to do with us? Well, it, it'll, it's touched many of you already uh, in the place that you're in. As a church, it's certainly applicable. 
um, just to be reminded about this respect in the family. And just to be reminded about this, this, this attitude of care and honor that should be present in and among us. And, and sometimes our obligations, you know, you may have to give up that vacation. You may have to give up that thing you wanted to do for the sake of sacrificing so uh, your mom or your dad can have what they need. Uh, again, not the cocktail parties and the trip to Tahiti, but just some, to, to make sure that they're taken care of. And, and we struggle, you know, with sacrificial love, don't we? Because we tend to live in a very selfish culture. Um, and, and that's what's so hard. We don't have to make a choice between putting ourselves first versus taking care of someone else. And look, God honors that. When, when you give and you love sacrificially, God honors that. Trust me, God honors that. And we want to take care of, and, and one final note, I got a call yesterday or day before yesterday from someone in our church who said they had met a woman who was a widow and, and didn't know or didn't, I don't know if he knew we were studying this today, but said, you know, ah, I think I overstepped my bounds. I said, all right, what'd you do? You know, he said, well, I told her to come to the church and the church would help her out. And I said, you know, I'm so pleased that you understand, that you know that you're part of a fellowship that you can meet someone and say, you know what, I might not be able to physically help you out financially right now, but I know I'm part of a church that's very giving and will at least talk to you about what it is that we can do to, to help you. I was so thankful that he felt that freedom to offer that on behalf of us, knowing that, that what kind of body this is that we're part of. So, and it is, it's what we try to do. It's what we try to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, Phil's going to come up. And uh, again, if you're visiting with us today, I just want to explain to you that we've made this commitment to go through the entire counsel of God's Word. We started in 1 Timothy 1.1, and we'll go all the way to the, to the last verse of the last chapter, and we'll go through the whole Bible that way. And, and there's lots of amazing things that we read as we go through God's Word. Every part of it is important, is it not? We get into some issues right around Christmas time um, about greed and materialism in chapter 6, so there's... Lots of interesting things coming up and, and very timely, I think. So let's close with the song and, um, and Phil will then pray and release us.